Hey everyone, good to see you. Uh, we're continuing our series today, Free Indeed. And uh, as I had been praying over our church, I felt the Lord uh, just really impress it upon my heart that we needed to focus on freedom. We needed to focus on that gospel truth that we can be truly free to live in that reality that, that Christ has set us free. So we, so we live in it day by day and then that we are a church where we want people to come in and experience life-changing freedom. That's why it says it on our vision statement right there at the front door, is we're all about freedom here. And so we're continuing in our series. Uh, today's message is confidence of freedom. We're talking about how freedom, true, real freedom, should give us confidence in our life. Confidence in our spiritual walk. Confidence before even God. And I'm really excited about this message, this series. We started off with this verse, kind of the theme verse, which is John 8, 36. It says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Like, not just a little bit free, but free indeed. Like, wholly free, truly free. We need that true freedom. You know, as I've been... uh, Praying over this sermon specifically, the confidence of freedom. Um, I was thinking about our, our nation, right? It's the land of the free, home of the brave. Isn't it? Right? Is that the saying? Right? We're the land of the free, home of the brave. But if you look around, if you talk to people, I don't know if the world has ever seen such a free people so enslaved. I mean, we're enslaved to, to all sorts of things, willfully Willfully. I mean, we choose to, to be enslaved to all sorts of things. I mean, people are addicted to drugs at highest numbers that we've ever seen. Where We've got um, social media. I mean, Melissa downloaded this app a little while ago that tells you like how many times you've opened certain apps and how much time you spent on them and everything like that. And I was like, I do not want to know. Like, like, I don't want that accountability of my life, you know? But the thing is, like, we're, we're addicted to social media and, and addicted to constant entertainment. Um, the amount of time that is spent in front of screens in our nation is, is, is insane. Um, people don't even allow themselves to just truly be alone with their thoughts or alone with God. And we're, we're a nation that we're just seeing this increase. I mean, if you look at even... Uh, with a sex industry, porn is like off the charts. Like, even within the church, it's so unfortunate. Like, there is just so much of it going on. And then we, we wonder why there's like real slavery of sex trafficking and why that's so prevalent. Well, it's because of these and uh, the addiction that is there. And so, we're a free country that is so enslaved. And I really feel that God want our church to be truly free, free indeed, and then to walk in the confidence that comes with that. Because when you go back to the things of old, when you've got anxiety controlling your life, depression controlling your life, drugs controlling your life, social media addictions controlling your life, lust issues controlling your life, you don't feel very confident With yourself, you don't feel very confident before God. But freedom gives us confidence. Freedom gives us confidence. I think that in our culture, even with spirituality, 
there's this idea of fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it, right? You hear that like in business, like entrepreneurs are like, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Like I'm going to buy a thousand dollar suit and look the part. And if I can fake it till I make it, then I'll reach success. And then I feel like Christians apply that to their spiritual walk. They walk into church and we go, I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to pretend everything's going well. I'm going to lie that I'm not struggling with these things until it's true. Eventually it'll be true. We fake it until we make it. And the thing is, if you're faking it, you're not going to make it. Especially with spiritual things. You can't fake it until you make it. The Bible is clear that confession is the way that you heal. Repentance is the way that you grow. Devotion is how you move forward. You can't fake it until you make it. I want our church to be confident in who they are. Confident in who Christ is and, and who he's made them. Even confident before God. That's an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Before we dive into this text, I, I, I want to pray. And I want us to really be able to receive the words in this scripture. So let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray if, if there's people in here who are, if, Lord, there are people in here who are struggling. We know it. Lord, I bet that everyone in here is struggling from one extent to another. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't fake it until we make it. I pray that we wouldn't be hypocrites, that we would be real and honest. Lord, that we would turn to Jesus completely, live in the freedom that he has completely. Lord, I pray that you would take this scripture and speak a message loud and clear to each one of our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and, and move in our midst. Bring your, the truth of your word and make it alive to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Our main text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we'll have most of the slides up, but you can also um, go ahead and follow along in your Bibles if you want. Today I'm going to be reading mostly out of the NIV. 2 Corinthians. Okay, so the church in Corinth was an interesting church. And I want to preface what I'm about to read with a few things. First off, the church in Corinth was a church that was getting drunk on communion wine. Okay? They had rampant sexual immorality. They had um, issues of, like, just drama and arguing and arguing about which leader is best, and, and they had a lot of problems. Not only that, they were abusing and misusing the spiritual gifts, okay? So Paul writes two long letters, right? Like, some of Paul's letters are really short. I would love to get one of Paul's short letters, right? Because that means it has, like, no rebuke in it. That's good. If, like, Paul writes you a long letter, whoo. <laughs> and so he writes them two long letters, with like a lot of correction. And we're very thankful for it because the first and second Corinthian letters give us a lot of like really good practical methodology and, and even some real practical views of theology because they needed it. Whereas a lot of the other churches had, had listened to the disciples when they, when they taught and were practicing these things already. So in a, in a very strange way, we should be thankful for the Corinthians' disobedience because we get these amazing letters that we can learn from. But, but nonetheless, even though all those things were true, I want you guys... 
We're going to read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to what Paul says about them. It's, it's actually really fascinating. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendations to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay, so in this text, what we see is Paul talking about letters of like recommendation. Okay, today, if like somebody comes up here, let's say I have a guest speaker. We have Google, like we can check their Facebook. Like if so, I bring in a guest speaker, you could like look it up and like, okay, like I see where some of the churches he's worked out. They seem legit. Like, oh, I see he's got this degree here. Oh, I can go listen to one of his messages there. And so you go, okay, this guy seems legit. He doesn't seem like a false teacher. And so a lot of the teachers that were coming into Corinth, they would have to bring letters of recommendation. Like, hey, this so-and-so recommended me. Like I'm, it's kind of like an ordination. And Paul's like, hey, I, I know you guys need to listen to me, but, but listen, I don't need letters of ordination. I don't need letters of recommendation. You yourselves are my letter of recommendation. Like, that's, that's insane. Paul is saying, even though this church was flawed and, and kind of messed up sometimes, he's like, I have such faith in what God is doing and will do in you that you are my letter of recommendation. I trust that God is working in your lives. That when I preach to you, that you will follow Christ and that you will be good witnesses, that you'll be proof of Christ. Think about that. That's pretty, that's pretty cool is that Paul's so confident in this church that they're, they're proof of the gospel. They're proof of his ministry, even though they're messed up. And, and I'll get to why that's possible like in, our, in the third section. But it's really important that you know that if the gospel is working your life, even if things are wrong, God still says you're proof that it works. You're proof that it works. And we'll get to that more at the end. Paul's desire for them is what? That they would be in the spirit that gives life. He wants them to truly experience freedom. Paul, in another letter, the first letter, Corinthians chapter 6, he said, I have the right to do anything you say, um, but not everyone is, sorry, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul wants that to be true of the church. They were mastered by a lot of things, and he wants them to not be mastered by anything. He wants them to experience real and true freedom. But he gets here into this next part of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 on how that's actually possible. Let's read. This is a long portion of scripture. I really hope that you guys will read along, focus in, and don't space out. We're going to read this whole, whole section here. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone 
came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in, the case, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. We'll stop there. So he talks about this, this um, story that they would have been very familiar with. When Moses would come down from the mountain after spending time with God and, and delivering the words of God, his face would shine with the glory of God. He was reflecting the glory of God, and he had to veil it. And that veil was a representation of how the law was incomplete. And the veil was removed when Christ died on the cross. When Christ came and he, he fulfilled the law. And so Paul's point is here is that the law was good. We talked about this last week. Ben did a fantastic job talking about the law and, and, and all that. I would recommend you go and listen to it. But the law was incomplete without Christ. And the law only truly makes sense in light of Christ. So it's when you know Christ that the law truly makes sense. The Old Testament truly makes sense in Christ. And he says, since we have Christ, we don't wear a veil. We behold the glory of God fully and we reflect it. We shine gloriously. Paul is saying here, he wants them to be free. He's confident in the work that Christ is doing in their lives. He wants them to to behold the glory of God and to reflect the glory of God. That's what we want for our church, isn't it? Is that what you want for your life? Do you want to behold the glory of God? Do you want to reflect the glory of God so others can see it? Wouldn't that be amazing if that was like really what our church was known for? Like these people are all about the glory of God. They're going and they're, and they're in their prayer closets and they're experiencing God in real ways where when they come out and they go to their work and they go to their community groups and they, they go do outreach and they go to Sunday service, they're just shining. Like I can tell there's something different about them. That's what I want for my own life. I want to be more and more just knowing the glory of God and reflecting it. And I want that for our church. But sometimes we don't feel like that's happening. Do you ever feel like, you're like, that sounds really good. And Steve, you can get excited about it, but that's not how I feel right now. I go to prayer and I feel guilty. I feel condemned. I feel like I can't get past certain things. What do we do? Ephesians 3.12, it says, in him... And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
How do you approach God right now? Do you approach God with freedom and confidence? Why? Why not? Why do you or why don't you? When you go to God, are you completely confident in who you are? If not, it might be because you're looking at you and not the work that he's done in you. Because the confidence comes from in him, speaking of Jesus, and our faith in him. It's all about Jesus. That's where the confidence comes from. That's where the freedom comes from. You're approaching God in, in light of Christ's work on the cross. You're, you're approaching God washed in his blood. That's where the confidence can come from. But yet, even though that's true with Christians, if you've given your life to Jesus, the Bible says that you are justified and you've been made in right standing before God in the heavenly places. Yet you don't always feel that way here and today. Listen, let's read this last bit of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. I feel like in the American church, some stuff's come up where it's actually been, it was like with good intent, but it's become problematic. Like, I remember you would say, like, oh, that person's a, a really good Christian or a mature Christian. And, like, somebody would jump in out of nowhere. Like, they probably weren't even a part of the conversation or even in the room. And they'd go, we're all the same in Christ. We're all justified. You can't say mature or growing or, or, or a good Christian. We're all the same in Christ. You, you've ever been in that conversation? You ever said that? Right? So you kind of jump in. You're like, how dare you say some people are, are doing better than others? It's because we're getting mixed up with two things, salvation and sanctification. Salvation, it means that you, you're, you're saved by Christ, that you're justified and made right in the heavenly places. Sanctification is the process throughout your life to start looking like Jesus. And of course, we do not mean that you are saved by your works. That if you don't do a good job, you're going to lose your salvation. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about sanctification, though. Where you might be sealed by the Holy Spirit in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places, you look like Jesus already because he's promised it and he's made it so. But here and now, you need to grow. You need to grow. And if you don't think you need to grow, you need to do a real heart check, right? Because we all need to grow. If you don't look like Jesus yet, you're not finished being sanctified. (laughs) You've got areas that you need to grow. And he says here, That we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That glory. The glory that's experienced when we when we see God, when we when we when we spend time with Him in prayer and we're experiencing His love and His mercy and He's He's working on us and and causing us to repent of things and we're we're in that glory and then we're reflecting it from one degree to another. You can reflect more of God's glory. You can behold more of God's glory. You can start to look more and more 
like Jesus. And, and the more and more the reality that's in heaven starts being true in your day-to-day life, the more confident you feel, the more free you feel. Because the reality of what God did on the cross is, is true. But you have choices to make in how you live it out. You have choices day to day to walk in freedom. You have the opportunity every day to walk confidently in the freedom that Christ has for you. Psalms 119, it says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I've looked at what God said is good, and I'm walking in that. And that's walking in freedom, looking to what God wants you to do with your life, walking in it, following and experiencing real freedom. Romans 12, 2. If you've been in church for, for very long, you probably know this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Wait, I thought I was a new creation. I thought I was new. I thought Jesus already did all this. He did, but you've got to choose to walk in it today. You have to choose to allow God to renew your mind, to transform you more and more every day, to look more and more like Jesus. The renewal of our minds. Who needs to be renewed in their mind in some of the way they they think, some of the way they act? I do. We need to be renewed and transformed. How do we do do that? How do we do that, church? Do we fake it till we make it? Do we put on our Sunday best? Not talking about clothing. Talking about attitude. Talking about how we present ourselves, what we talk about. We put on our Sunday best around Christians. And then during the week, maybe it's very different. That's not what church is about. Like, I was talking to a mentor of mine, and he said he was preaching. He's preaching through the book of Revelations, which is a bold move, right? Uh, We'll do that eventually. Uh, And he said he's talking about when we're standing before the righteousness of God. And he said he's preaching his heart out. Like, that is the scariest thought possible, to stand before a completely righteous God. And not know Christ. If you don't know Christ, if he's not the one who's covering you, if his blood hasn't washed you, that is the scariest thought of all. And he's like preaching his heart out. And he's like, at the end, there's not a single response in the room. And he's like, he's like, you know, he's telling me, I'm confessing for him. He's like, I don't, why are these people here? Why are we here? Why do we do this? If nobody's going to respond When we're thinking and beholding the glory of God, his righteousness, and that doesn't stir something in you, why are you even at church? So I want to ask you guys, why are you here? If you're just here because I texted you, right? Like, and you're like, Stephen's trying to do this thing, and I feel really bad for him, so I'm going to go. You, please, like, don't do that. Leave. 
I don't need you to be here just for the sake of it. I want you to be here because we're experiencing God's glory and we're living for His glory day to day. That we're a team reflecting the glory of God, but also experiencing the glory of God. If that's not why we're gathering, if that's not why we do what we do, then just please leave. You don't need that. You don't need a place to attend. You don't need a room to be social with. That's not what your heart needs. Your heart needs something much more than that. Your heart needs to to know God, to experience His glory, and to have people that you can be accountable and real with. Our leaders are not judgmental people. Like, if I ever come across you as judgmental, let me tell you, my heart has never been that way. I've experienced judgment where you feel like you just can't be honest with people for one reason or another. Let me tell you that you can be 100% honest with our, our leadership. We're not going to judge you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to be there for you. We're going to share our own weaknesses with you. We're going to talk to you. We're going to tell you, hey, like, this is what I've done. This is what I've experienced. We're going to be there for you. But yet, so many of us walk in and we fake it till we make it in Christianity. And let me tell you, you're not making it. You're not making it. We come to church sometimes. Maybe it's, it's for social reasons. Maybe it's uh, because you feel guilty. Maybe you really are seeking something and maybe you're not experiencing it. Maybe you're like, I, I really wish I could, but like I just, every time I feel like I'm not getting there. And one of the easiest things to do is to start looking around and going, like, if only we had this. Like, if our church could do this thing, then maybe, like, I could start experiencing real glory of God. I could really start experiencing some of this stuff. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's your heart that needs to really open up to God. Because if you can come to a, a gathering of, of Christians and we're, we're worshiping God and it feels amazing. We should also be able to experience that in a room alone. I think because of some of the things we, we talked about at the beginning, the constant distraction of social media, of TV, of, of Netflix. Like, it used to be you had to wait a week before you could keep watching your show. Now you can watch it all at once, all eight seasons. And never before have people been just like, oh, give me, give me, give me, give me. I got a Netflix. Oh, social media, like it's never ending scroll of content. And if you, if you like tap out on Facebook, you're like, I, I think I saw this stuff yesterday. Go to Instagram. And then it's like, okay, what's on Snapchat? What's, what's on the news? There's probably other apps that I don't even know about, right? Like just so many more things to scroll, so many more videos to watch. It's a never-ending feed. But let me tell you that God has a never-ending feed of glory, of love, of mercy, and relationship for you. You will never run out. You will never feel hollow or empty when you're on that feed. How many of you have been scrolling and you're like, I still feel bored? You're watching a show and you're like, ah, man, I wish the show was better. I wish that other show came out with a new season. This show sucks. <laughs> but God, like, he's, 
vast and eternal and, and amazing and he never runs out. Like you're never going to get bored with him. If you're getting bored with him, you're not worshiping God. That's something else. Because if you're beholding the glory of God, it is far from boring. If you're experiencing the Holy Spirit moving in your life, it is far, far from boring. If you're reading the Bible, you you must be doing it with your mind if you feel bored. Because if you're in the Spirit of God, it is alive. It starts showing you stuff about your heart you didn't even know was there. It starts showing you stuff about God that you could have never imagined. The Bible isn't boring if you're reading it in the Spirit, if you're reading it and, and focusing in on who God is. Church, God has so much more for you. I want you to know that if, if there's stuff in your life that causes shame or guilt, when you approach the Father, repent of it, yes. But don't feel condemned. Don't feel like you're unworthy to be there because it, was, it would be true even if that thing wasn't in your life. Even if you had a great week and you came before the God, you're still unworthy. The only thing that makes you worthy is if you're, if you're in Jesus Christ. If Jesus has washed you and made you new, that is the only thing that makes you worthy. And when, when you know that and understand that, you can approach God and say, God, I'm sorry for this. I repent of this. Help me with this. But Jesus died for me. You, you've promised that that is, that is washed away, that I will not have to... Um, suffer for that. I will not receive the penalties for that. And I'm approaching him in confidence because of what Jesus Christ has done, not because of what I have done. And when you start doing that regularly and experiencing God regularly and you're, you're receiving his mercy and love and it breaks you down because you're like, how could that even be true? Like, I'm the least of these. Paul, as he writes his, these books, he calls himself the least of the apostles. And then it's like, he says he's like the worst of all. He says, out of everybody who's ever been born or will ever be born, I view myself as the worst. The more he got before God, he saw that he had nothing to offer, but Jesus had done it all. And so he came to God in confidence. He approached the world in confidence. He preached the message in confidence because of that truth. So you need to know that you can step into relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. It can be real. It can be guilt-free because of what Jesus has done. Not because whether or not what you have done. I want you guys to behold the glory of God. Like, when was the last time you just really, really, really thought about who, how, who he is and what he's done? Like, really allowed your thoughts to only focus on that. Because what we do in Christianity today is that because we're so addicted to um, constant feeds giving us things, Christians tend to listen to sermons rather than read the Bible. Christians read devotions that other people write instead of reading, writing their own after reading scripture. We're looking for the next new good book, right? We're looking for that next podcast and that next series that the pastor on Instagram will do, right? And that's the way we're like feeding because that's what we're used to. That's because what, that's what our culture does. But you could just be alone with God, alone with just your thoughts and him. God could speak to you in real ways, in much more personal ways. You could behold his glory. And I'm not saying don't listen to podcasts. I listen to multiple a week. I read books every week. But you know what? Those even start to feel a little dry because I can also have a direct feed from God in his scripture and in prayer. 
And it's much more personal. Even last night, I was, I was, I was just sitting by my bed praying. And the Lord just gave me a vision. And it, I was like, what is this for? And I could just feel him showing that it was about me. And he's just speaking to me directly. I can't get that out of a podcast. I can't get that out of a book. But when God gives me a vision about my own life and speaks something direct to what he wants me to do, that is amazing. It's powerful. God can speak to you through his word and through his Holy Spirit. And when when you're experiencing that kind of stuff, you're going to be that unveiled Christian beholding the glory of God and reflecting the glory of God. So this week, don't read your Bible as an obligation, but as an opportunity to behold the glory of God. As an opportunity to know God in a real and intimate way. Because if we're reading scripture as an obligation, you're not going to experience that. But if you open it up and go, this is the words of God. These are the words of God. We should be just flipping pages. Wow, this is amazing. Keep reading, keep reading, keep going. I can close my eyes. I can think. I can talk to the living God. Prayer's not boring anymore. Prayer's not boring when you know who you're talking to and who can talk back. Do you guys know that you can hear from God? Did you know that? Now, God's not going to tell you anything that contradicts the written word. So you need to know that. Everything you hear, the, the Bible says, if the Spirit's, you think this, oh, that may, might be the Spirit working on me, you need to compare it to Scripture. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, is this what the Bible has already said? Because he's not going to contradict himself. God doesn't do that. He doesn't change and he doesn't contradict. But he does speak. And, every, and he gave us the Bible to keep us in line. You can test it and go, that, oh, that really is just like this verse here. Wow, that really was God speaking to me. Did you learn to test it? You know, I used to, I would pray, and then I used to have this voice. Then for a while, I was like, is that God speaking? I hear this kind of voice in my head. And it sounded like my voice, but oftentimes, you know, it's your mind. So you're, you're, you're like, Lord, is this? And I realized that there's a certain voice in my head that has always been wrong. There's a certain voice, and sometimes I'm like, is that God saying something? And it never has been. And I've learned to test it. And I've had other times where I'm not, I recognize God's voice. When I'm praying, when I'm reading his scriptures, when I'm thinking about something, I can hear. I'm like, that is when God is speaking. That voice has never led me astray. That voice has never been wrong. And I know this all sounds like, maybe you're like, I don't know how this all works. Gotta just try it, test it. Compare it to scripture. Ask somebody, hey, like, I don't know, I think maybe God was showing me this. What do I do with that? Okay, well, let's pray about it. Let's ask for a confirmation. Let's see if he shows it to you again in another way. Ask for confirmation. Look in his scriptures. Get a leader to say, it's like, is that something God would be showing me right now? Like, I'm not sure. And pretty soon as you've tested these things, the Bible talks about that. And, and you're learning his voice. Jesus says that, you know, my sheep know my voice. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. You start to know, and you're like, man, and you know that God is speaking to you. Do you want God to speak to you? Do you? Hands up, if you want God to speak to you. 
If you don't, I don't know why you're at church. It doesn't make sense. You don't want God to speak to you. If what we're doing is just like a program, none of this is real, then why would we do it? I think, you know, the conflicted or the hypocritical Christian, I think are the saddest people on earth. Because they have too much of God to enjoy the world and too much of the world to enjoy God. You ever heard that? That's a sad life to live. Because you can't enjoy either one. So you just live in a miserable middle. I would say the happiest people on earth are those who just don't care if there's a God. Do whatever they want. They can just feed themselves with every kind of pleasure with no guilt. With no shame. Nothing to worry about. But the most joy-filled people on earth are those who go to God and experience him completely. Who, who leave all behind and dedicate themselves and devote themselves to him completely. Those are the people with real, true, internal joy. But I really believe the Christian in the middle is the most miserable of all. You look at depression statistics in the church, they're pretty high. Because you're living in a miserable middle. I wasn't going to say any of this. I'm just rambling at this point. I think it's the Holy Spirit. But listen, like I don't want that for you. I've been there at times in my life, and I never want to go back there. I never want to be in the miserable middle. I want to behold the glory of God and be filled with his joy and peace, serving him completely in a loving relationship. I don't want anything else besides that. Jesus says things like taste and see that it's good. So if you're like, ah, I don't know, if you're conflicted today, taste. You don't got to eat the whole meal, just taste it. Right? Melissa oftentimes is like, hey, taste this and see if it's any good. And then she actually won't let me eat more. God's not like that. (laughs) Right? She's like, that's for later. I was only asking you if it needed more salt. (laughs) But if you taste and you're like, this is good, you can keep eating. You can keep drinking from the well. It's a never-ending feed. Let's pray. All right. Today, we will be partaking of communion. I almost forgot. Forgive me. We'll be partaking of communion. In Matthew 26, 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when they had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it. All of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, gave us the sacrament, the example to remember him through the bread and the cup. And we we take the bread as, as a symbol of his body, which was broken for us. And the cup is a symbol for the blood that was poured out for us. This is what Jesus has done. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe that he died and rose again, conquering sin and death, offering you newness of life.
This is true of you. And we do this in remembrance. If you're unsure, today is a day, this could be your first time taking communion where it was real. This could be a time where you go, God, I'm gonna, I want to taste and see. I want to know you truly. I want to behold your glory. I want to hear your voice. I want to know your will for my life. You can take the bread and the cup and, and surrender all to him. If you've got stuff and you've been in that miserable middle, today you can say, Lord, I believe that you have so much for me, that you have redeemed all things, that you can make all things good. I repent of these sins. I give myself again to you completely. You can take the bread and the cup. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross. A miserable and shameful death on our behalf. To take on the sins that we committed and will commit, Lord. You knew our darkest moment. You know the pride of our hearts. Lord, and you took it all. You took the penalty for all of that upon you at the cross. You lived the life we should have lived. You died the death we should have died. And you rose again so that we could have newness of life, relationship with God that we could behold your glory without a veil, without any covering, without any condemnation, just to know you truly and completely. Lord, I pray that every person would experience that today as they take the cup and the bread. In Jesus' name, amen.